Welcome to The Daily Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Trevor Lovell, a pastor from our Near North location. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. And so to do that, we created The Daily Cut, short biblical devotionals uh, that we now post on a regular basis. And we hope that you're encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus by them. This is The Daily Cut, and I'm Trevor Lovell. All right. It's good to be with you all. I hope you've been enjoying our series through the Minor Prophets here. I know sometimes uh, they can be difficult little books to engage with and to get a sense of what's actually going on in them, but there really are some incredibly rich passages within them. And so hopefully this series has helped make them a little bit more accessible and I hope you've enjoyed it along the way. And so with that, we are continuing the series today and uh, we are looking into the book of Zechariah. So just today, and then uh, uh, we've got one more episode coming on Friday. Friday, which is Malachi, which wraps up all of the minor prophets, the whole collection. And so Zechariah, uh, one before the last, that's what we're doing today. And let me just say, if you are at all familiar with the minor prophets, uh, most of them you read through and you see these prophecies of judgment and the prophecy, uh, the, the prophets calling the people of Israel out, calling them to repentance, you know, saying all these different things, or even uh, calling out judgment on nations surrounding Israel. And, uh, you know, even if you don't know all the significance, if you don't know all the names or where they're at or what it all means, you can at least track a little bit with what's happening. But... The book of Zechariah is the one in the bunch that is not like that. This is definitively the most far out book in the entire collection uh, because basically the first eight chapters are just a record of dreams and visions that Zechariah had. And some of them are just plain wild. And I mean, if you dig into them more, you see that they work together according to a certain structure and they're making a point and uh, they're not, they're not just nonsense. They're actually commuting, they're communicating something. Um, It's just that in terms of content and style, Zechariah is far and away the strangest of all the minor prophets because of those dreams and visions. But the book is broken up into two different main sections, right? The first being the dreams and visions, chapters uh, one through eight. And then the second piece is actually where our passage lands in the midst of that, uh, and that is chapters 9 through 13 onto the end of the book. And so our passage, uh, that that section, that second section reads more like a typical prophetic book. And uh, our passage is in the midst of that. It is Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. And it might actually be familiar to you since this is a passage uh, that, that comes up right about the time of Easter, uh, since this is actually the uh, kind of the Palm Sunday prophecy where it talked about Jesus coming into, it talks about the Messianic King coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, uh, which the week before Jesus died, uh, that's the way he entered Jerusalem, was riding on a donkey in direct fulfillment of this prophecy, uh, which is pretty pretty cool, seeing that it came um, you know, hundreds of years before that actually took place. And so well, we're going to jump into it, and we're going to do it just like this. We'll take it bit by bit. Um, I'll read it, and then we'll stop and unpack, and uh, then pick it up and keep going with it until we get to the end. And then, uh, then once we get there, we'll summarize some things that hopefully will be beneficial um, and taken away from this. So, So let's jump in. This is Zechariah 9, starting at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So this starts out with this declaration of good news. Rejoice greatly, right? Because you've got something to celebrate. You have something to be glad about. And then it goes on to explain that the thing that's coming is the coming king, right? The messianic king that the people have been waiting for. And what's interesting here is the way that this king is portrayed, right? That he is righteous and having salvation and that he's coming humble and mounted on a donkey. That's unexpected, right? And a colt at that, the foal of a donkey or a young donkey, which it's it's not what you would expect from this messianic king who's gonna come in and establish the, the kingdom forever, right? Reign forever upon the throne of David. You don't expect him to come in uh, in a posture of humility, on an animal of humility, um, you would expect something more in the lines of a warhorse, which actually when the prophecy came to its fulfillment on Palm Sunday, that's the thing that everybody was confused about, right? E- even though they knew the prophecy and they had this, when it actually came about, uh, they were all surprised and confused about why Jesus would choose to ride in on a donkey because they were thinking that he was the messianic king who was gonna come in and overthrow the nation. He was going to overthrow the the Roman rule over them, establish uh, Israel in independence and establish the kingdom of Israel once more. Uh, And so even when they had this prophecy, um, they still were confused about why he was coming in on a donkey. And so the prophecy itself is a little bit confusing in that light. But then as you keep reading, it starts to make some more sense because the, the donkey lines up with what comes next. Because you can see right from the next lines, right, in in, uh, in verse 10, that this king, it says, will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, which is standing in the place of northern Israel, and the war horse from Jerusalem, standing in the place of southern Israel here. This king will remove the necessity of chariots and war horses, of weapons and of militaries. He will remove the necessity for all of that entirely. Because once he comes, there will be no more attacks. There will be no more war. There will be no more battles. And so there will be no more need for defense. No more need for these things. And he shall speak peace to the nations. And it says the boundaries of Israel, right? They're described here in such a way that they'll cover the entire world to the ends of the earth. This king's reign will be complete and it will bring peace and flourishing to everyone. So that's the first piece. That's the good news to rejoice over. And then it keeps going here in verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So there's some strange language here. The blood of my covenant. What is that referring to? God is referring back to one of the covenants that he made with the people of Israel. One of those promises to be in relationship with them. One of the commitments to be their God, right? It's either the Abrahamic one, which is recorded in Genesis 15, um, or it's the Mosaic one recorded in Exodus 24, uh, right about the same time that the 10 commandments were given. It was right on that same, uh, right in that same time. And so it's one of those, either the Abrahamic covenant made with Abraham or the Mosaic one, made with Moses and the rest of the Israelites. But whichever one it is, God is here referring to uh, a covenant, right? A commitment that he made to be in relationship with and to seek the good of the people of God, the people of Israel as their God. And so he's saying that because of that, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. 
right? Which waterless pit is sort of like a dungeon. It was a place that you kept prisoners. And we see that in Genesis, in the book of Genesis with the story of Joseph. It's where his brothers throw him uh, while they're deciding what to do with him. And actually the prophet Jeremiah ends up in one of these as well. And God is saying, I will free you from that. And he's talking about their exile and the effects of their exile, right? Because many of the Israelites, they had returned from the exile to Babylon at this point. They're back in the land of Israel. But the reality is they're still suffering the effects of it. And they're still not a sovereign nation, right? Their kingdom is not established. They still don't have a king. But the, the Babylonian empire has collapsed and been overthrown, but, and they've been allowed to return home. But the reality is that's because it's the, the Persian empire is in rule. And there was a change in policy that allowed them to go back to the promised land, but they were still a people that was ruled over by another nation. And so they're back in the land, but the effects of the exile are still there because they still don't have their kingdom. And God here is promising hope. Right, And so let's pick this up again at verse 12. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double, right? which is talking about blessings. God will double the blessings on his people. And then verse 13 here. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim as its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Basically, God will bring peace to the people of Israel. He will be with them against their enemies. And the day is coming, right? When this king comes, uh, the day is coming that the kingdom of Israel will be established once more. And the effects of it, of the effects of exile won't be there anymore. And so he's saying, you prisoners of hope, those, those of you who have held on to hope throughout the exile, throughout this uh, state of imprisonment that, that you've been in, that one day that hope will be satisfied and the thing that you hope for will be brought forward. And so that's the passage. We see that it's good news. It's something to rejoice over. The Messianic King is coming and as he does, he will establish his reign to the ends of the earth and he will speak peace. He will bring peace to the nations and he will bring an end to the need for militaries and for weapons of war. None of that will be necessary anymore. That's the king that we have to look forward to that is prophesied here in Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 13. And we see the partial fulfillment of this in the accounts of Palm Sunday, where Jesus was this king, humble and mounted on a donkey coming into Jerusalem, right? And the point is, what's interesting here is that many of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, they actually work in the same way, where Jesus, he, he came in his first coming, he fulfilled part of them. He partially fulfilled these prophecies because the part about him being the king coming in on a donkey, that already happened, right? That's in the past, that's been fulfilled. But there's so much about this prophecy that still is yet to come, right? The full establishment of his kingdom and his reign and his rule, the doing away of militaries and weapons and war, the speaking of peace to the nations, all of those things are still yet to come. And they're all a part of this prophecy, And so the point is, just as the people of Israel received this prophecy and found hope in it, in the midst of whatever circumstances they were in, right? they found hope in looking forward to the coming of this king and everything that he would bring for them. And the point is, right, because part of this is fulfilled and part of this isn't. Part of this is we still look forward to it. We still hope for this. And so the point is that we can look at this and we can receive hope as we do look forward to the fulfillment of the rest of this prophecy. to the day that our king comes back for the second time uh, and fully establishes his kingdom, speaks peace to the nations, and brings flourishing on the earth forever. That's what we look forward to. 
And that's what this passage prophesies. Thanks for listening today. I hope you're doing well. We'll be back on Friday with another short devotional. So stay tuned. 